Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody. We're siblings who grew up working in the entertainment industry and were deeply impacted by the arts. I'm a professional actor, singer, and dancer working in Los Angeles and New York, still pursuing an artistic career. I, on the other hand, am no longer pursuing that career. I went on to become a researcher, though I'm still involved in the creative industry. Artistic Beginnings is all about the winding artistic paths that creatives follow in their lives. We share these inspirational stories with you so that you can learn and grow as a creative. So let's get into it. Okay. Well, this is a warm-up that I've been doing since high school, and it's obviously for articulation, but it is really fast, and it's always what I would do, like, right before I went on stage while I was wrapped in a black curtain. That was my weird thing that I would do. So I always do, to sit in solemn silence on a dull, dark dock in a pestilential prison with a lifelong lock awaiting the sensation of a short, sharp shock from a cheap and chippy chopper on a big black block. Where did you find that? So that is from Gilbert and Sullivan. And I forget the show. My dad would kill me for not remembering what show it's from. So I learned it from my high school drama teacher who was the first person who was like, hey, you're good at this. And so most of my foundation, despite having been a theater major, and I obviously learned a lot, you know, in college, but most of my foundation came from him. So shout out to Peter King in Baltimore. Hey, everyone. Happy Wednesday. (laughs) Happy Wednesday. Hump day it is. Hump day. Uh, Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mel. Who do we have on this week? (laughs) I'm glad you asked because I'm pretty sure no one knows. Uh, They didn't click on the episode. They didn't know that it was Ketrin. Oh, I gave it away. Oh, you gave it away. Uh, Yes, we have Ketrin Porter on our show today. Yeah, she did a great little warm up for us. You know, I feel nice and limber. My lips and the tip of my tongue. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Editing this episode this week was honestly really fun for me because I I feel like every week I'm going on a tangent, but every week is always fun because we've recorded these a while back. So you're, you know, hearing past us technically, but it's fun going back and listening to the conversations that we have because I personally get so much out of all of them. And I find that no matter where I am in life, especially in quarantine, which seems to change hourly, they always like give me a piece of advice. I'm like, oh yeah, I should be thinking about that. Right. And but I also felt the same way about uh, this particular episode. I think it hit us hard because she talks a lot about having to start over and having to deal with completely uncertain circumstances that we are currently living in. And I think she speaks very eloquently about it. And I learned a lot while we were talking about it. And now that I've listened back again, it's very much a wow. Yeah, I really yeah, need to be really doing like stuff. Yeah, it really like hammers it in where you hear it the first time you're like, oh yeah, but then when you listen to it again, you're like, oh wait, actually, yeah. <laughs> so so that's our way of saying, listen to it once, share it with a few friends, and then re-listen to, listen it, to it three it or four yeah. more times. <laughs> um, that's not self-serving. That is to help you because exactly. honestly, <laughs> listening back to these helps. It does. No, it. So listen to all of the episodes again and <laughs> let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know if you gleamed any new information from them. Plenty of gleaning to be done. Yes. (laughs) Let's jump into our conversation with Ketrin. Well, you kind of already mentioned it, that high school was where you kind of jumped into theater. Was there any point before that that you, earlier in life, were kind of interested in the arts? Or was that kind of the defining moment? 
Yeah, I don't remember ever not being interested in it. I was actually thinking about this in the <laughs> as I was getting ready this morning because I, you know, suspected that was going to come up. Mm-hmm. I don't remember ever not playing make-believe. That was really big for me to the point where when I was three and four years old, I did not answer to my name. I only answered to Alice from Alice in Wonderland. I only dressed like her. My play clothes were like little frocked dresses and things like that. That's all my parents could get me to wear. And so I was always interested in playing somebody else. So that definitely was something that I always remember. It was fifth grade, though, where I performed on a stage in front of strangers. And in fifth grade, we all had to, I don't know if you guys had this, but we all had to like play an instrument. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we would have, and I played the cello first chair. Thank you very much. Oh, well done. I mean, I remember absolutely nothing of it and have (laughs) never played since fifth grade. But in fifth grade, I was, I was a star cellist. Please tell me that's on your resume. (laughs) <laughs> I, I will say cellists are supposed to be very, very smart. Oh, so well, you chose well. Pl- yeah. Please recall that I no longer play it. So <laughs> that's a very important fact that we all need to remember. But what would happen is you would perform a concert, like at the end of the year, as a school assembly. And then you would perform the same concert for like parents and family to come that evening. And there was little like vignettes or skits or whatever where the students would introduce the next song that was going to happen or whatever it was. And I remember that there was one little part where it was a Las Vegas showgirl, which is kind of inappropriate for like a fifth grade. <laughs> Just like, a bit. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, it's now that I'm thinking about it, it's very inappropriate. But I was like <laughs> introducing some song that is based in Vegas. What was I doing? Why was this a thing? But anyway, I remember I had to wear like a little, you know, like Vegas showgirl outfit. Oh my God. What was my school? This is, I'm really thinking about this. I in have a, new a really way. great image of you <laughs> with one of those big headdresses. <laughs> yes. I was like wearing and like feathers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What was happening? But I remember like my first sort of taste of like wanting that high because obviously they wanted to give as many kids an opportunity to shine as possible. Mm -hmm. So one girl would perform that Vegas showgirl part for the assembly in school and then one girl would perform it for the friends and family in the evening. And I remember having the thought the audience in the evening is going to be bigger and there's going to be more people that don't know me that will see how good I am. And so I got Jackie DeForge, who was the girl who was playing it as well, to agree to let me do it for the friends and family night. And I made up something and like convinced her. And that was my first bit of like, I'm taking the stage. Oh um, my God. I yeah, love that I, so much. <laughs> yeah. And I feel kind of bad about it. Cause like she said that like her parents had to like take off work to come see her do it. And I was like, well, sorry. So that was like my time to shine. So yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So that was like my first taste of it. And I could feel that I had something, if that makes sense. And then I 
And then all of that came crashing down around me when I switched schools in sixth grade. And there was like an actual arts program. I went to a private girls school. We actually had a truly incredible arts program. And I that's, you know, why my parents picked that school for me. But in middle school, the only thing, the only plays that were done were musicals. And as much as I would love to be a great singer, I'm I'm not. <laughs> At so, least you're self-aware. <laughs> yeah, but it, it broke my heart because there just really wasn't a place for me in mm. the middle school shows. And I had a director who wasn't very nice. I now know that he was probably struggling with his own demons at the time. But, you know, I just felt really untalented, really not good at anything. And it wasn't until eighth grade where there was actually a show where there was like a bit of acting to do. We did Peter Pan and I got to play old Wendy. And I realized Mm. I was like, oh, it's not that I'm bad at this. It's that I don't want to do musicals. Like, that's not my forte. I want to do, you know, straight drama, straight comedy, that kind of thing. And so that allowed me to sort of understand what my niche was and to just lean Mm. into that. And so once I got to high school, that's where I was like, this is what I do. I don't have to be good at all of it. And, you know, I'm just going to lean into the stuff that I that I am confident in. Yeah, I mean, I think that moment is so valuable because I feel like I do it. I wear so many hats because I love all of it. But being able to just kind of really narrow it down to the one thing that you're like, no, this is what I do the best and this is what I want to do the most. I think that's awesome that you were able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it was hard just because I wish I had learned a little bit earlier that I was a character actor and not an ingenue. But I think as a woman you're sort of told what you're supposed to be. And I, w- yeah. I was never, ever that. So it's really only been recently that I've said, I don't need to try to fit into this box that frankly is ill-fitting for me. And there are people out there that fit it much better. You know, I'm just as useful as sort of the weird, quirky character actor. That's important too. Mm-hmm. But it took me a really, really long time to be comfortable with that. For even when you're going for that kind of work, do you ever feel like you're pigeonholed into a specific type of character actor, whereas you feel like you can be more of a broad kind of approach to all of it? To be honest, I wish I was more pigeonholed. I think that that's been something that's been really difficult for me, and I would have thought that it was an asset, but I've had a lot of casting directors say almost verbatim the same phrase, which is, this is a great performance. I just don't get you. I don't get where you fit. Like there's a lot of this actor is like a combination of this person and this person. And I don't really have that. And it never bothered me because I thought, oh, like if there's something unique about me, that is an asset. But I think when I'm at this point in my career, which is still very early on and I'm not, you know, like a name actor, people want to easily put you into a box so that their job is easier as a casting director. And I totally get that. Mm -hmm. And because I don't fit into one, I feel like that's been, that's been difficult for me for sure. Are you trying to get to a place where you can be very, very specific with something like that? Or are are you still kind of finding your way and seeing if you can make where you're at currently kind of fit with the mindset of the, the casting directors? I think maybe it's a combination of both. It's the old adage of, (laughs) if only I knew what I know now, back when I first moved here, you know, 
I think that's a lot of where my desire to sort of put things on pause came from, because I feel like the confidence that I have now would have allowed me to walk into casting offices and unapologetically be myself, as opposed to trying to fit into this box and not feeling comfortable in it and not really knowing what people wanted to see from me. So sort of being not specific enough when I think if I had just boldly been me, I would have maybe at least felt more comfortable in my own skin. But I think the irony is, you know, you can't be comfortable in your own skin until you're comfortable in your own skin. And that's not something that you can artificially manufacture. And it just comes with time and it comes with life and life lessons. And there's no speeding that up. And there's no timeline that's the same for anybody else. But it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, when you see people who appear to be figuring it out faster or better or more successfully than you, it's tough to, it's a hard pill to swallow. No, I totally can relate to that. It's especially, (laughs) especially in the business that we're in, where you're constantly being told that you're not right for some reason and not knowing what that reason may be and trying to, you know... You can definitely fall down the rabbit hole of trying to be someone you're not. Totally relate to you on that. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard picking the one thing that you like most about yourself or the thing that you think that you can do the best when you're not even sure if that's what they want. Right, <laughs> right. But just right. going, you know, full throttle with it and right. really leaning into it. It's scary. I mean, our job is putting ourselves on the line all the time and being vulnerable and to be in a way more vulnerable is scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's definitely scary. So, you grew up on the East Coast. When when did you make the the move over to the the West Coast over here? I grew up in Baltimore, obviously went to high school in Baltimore, and then I went to college in Baltimore as well, but I still lived on campus. But as Melody knows from my podcast, I still was pretty close to Peg and Skip, so I could have, you know, my friends over for dinners and dad would cook us yummy food and make us margaritas and stuff. So I kind of had the best of both worlds that I got to live that college life, but also got to, you know, do laundry for free sometimes at my parents' yeah, house. And have a have a home-cooked meal that's not in- mac and cheese. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And so when I graduated, Kim and I and our other friend Sophia decided that we were going to move to L.A., but Sophia was a year behind us. So Kim and I stayed behind for one more year and then moved out in, God, was it 2006? That's terrifying. I think it was 2006. (laughs) And we've been here ever since. Kim and I fell in love with it pretty quickly. I started calling going back to Baltimore home and then coming back to L.A. home pretty quickly and feeling like I truly had two homes. That's amazing. So when when you guys came out here, did you just start looking for for work and and start auditioning and everything? Were you guys creating content by that point? When when did all of that kind of happen? So I guess this is a little bit of like, I don't even want to call it a mistake, but it was definitely something that I've had to reconcile. And I, I guess what's interesting is I was particularly overwhelmed by L.A. And, you know, everyone that comes out to L.A. was the best actor of where they came from, Mm -hmm. you know. But then you get out here and it's like, no, everybody, everybody is in the same boat as you. Like you're you're not a big fish in a little pond anymore. You're a guppy in an ocean. 
And that was more terrifying for me than I think I even realized at the time. So I spent some time feeling disappointed in myself that my priorities were less about acting and more about finding the coolest new bar to go to and, you know, trying to pick up boys and focusing on sort of the party and social aspect of Los Angeles when I feel like I could have been learning how the business worked a little bit more. My cousin Allison also moved out here and we kind of grew up like sisters. We didn't move out together, but we moved out within a month of each other. And she's always been a lot more disciplined than me. And so I sort of watched her really try to do as much as she could to to learn the business. And I'll never forget one night where she called me up and she had had a couple drinks. I had had a couple drinks and she got really stern with me. And I don't know what prompted it, but she said, cousin, you are so talented and you're wasting it. It's not acceptable. You need to change your priorities. And I was so shocked by that because that's not how she talks to me. It's not the kind of thing that, you know, she's not really a tough love kind of person. But hearing her take stock of my priorities and being disappointed that she felt like I was wasting a talent kind of lit a fire under my ass. And by that point, I spent a lot of time feeling discouraged that I had not started sooner. And I know now, being older, that the reason for that is that I was I was scared. If I didn't start, then I could never fail. And I think deep down, I was truly afraid of, of failing and disappointing people, namely myself. So subconsciously, I just never let myself start. I'm okay with it now, just because I think I'm a better actor than I ever was because I've had some life experiences. But that was tough. That was tough. Yeah, I can imagine having those kind of moments throughout your life, kind of like, oh, these are the turning points that are challenging in the moments particularly, but you think back on them and you're like, wow, this was really a lot to take in. Have you had a a couple of those in in your timeline or is, is it just this main one that kind of stands out? I think that was the main one. I think if I, you know, went back through the Rolodex of memories, I could probably find other instances where I made excuses not to do something. And ultimately the excuses were empty and it was really just because Mm. I was frightened. Yeah, that is is so personally relatable (laughs) because, you know, if you don't, if you don't start, you can't fuck up, you know, you can't fail and fear of failure, especially in our industry is so massive because again, it's you, that's the product. And so if you fail, then it's, it's personal. It's not, you know, something else. So my question to you on that is obviously, you know, looking back, you were a little more able to really identify what it was. But in that moment, how did you deal with that? How how did you take steps to kind of figure your way through that moment and get out of it? There was a lot of kicking and screaming and making excuses <laughs> and... <laughs> Understandable. And, you know, and not wanting to acknowledge that this is the position I'd put myself into and realizing that that there was freedom in acknowledging that I might fail and realizing that fear of disappointing my dad specifically was holding me back. I felt like all he wanted for me was to realize my dream of becoming an actor. And if I didn't realize that 
dream, you know, because he told me early on, he said, I took a job that was stable and sturdy and made enough money so that you and your brother wouldn't have to, so that you and your brother could find a job that you love that fills your heart. And so I can't believe I'm getting so emotional. So I think acknowledging that I was afraid of disappointing him. Again, there was a lot of freedom in that. And, you know, my dad is an incredible person and Obviously, I told him this and he was nothing but kind and said, you know, I'm already proud of you. You've already succeeded. This has nothing to do with me. It's all you. And I'm still working through that, obviously, because I'm crying on a podcast, but I'm I'm getting there for sure. I, yep. <laughs> I can totally relate to you on that. I've had very similar experiences with my parents too. You know, it's, yeah. I think the combination of not wanting to let yourself down, but also not wanting to let not just your parents, but you know, everyone, because whenever (laughs) it's so fucked up, but whenever somebody who's was an actor or is still an actor, but is taking a break starts to tell people, everyone gets this such pitiful look on their face and such a, Oh, you tried though. You really, you did your best, you know, and that sucks. Yeah, man, does that You know, suck. it really does. And I know that it's not coming from a place of malintent, but it's still, you know, having that in the back of your head of like, I don't want to be that person can be so right. toxic. And so the people who matter are going to understand and are going to know that it's not your fault. Right. And that's what you have to remind yourself. Again, this is so easy to just say out loud, but to right. actually do it is... It's terrifying, Um, you know, and I'm, I'm actually in a strange, similar position right now that I'm, I'm currently trying to work through in that because of, you know, personal circumstances that came up uh, with my husband and I, he was in a, a drunk driver hit him and he had to get spinal surgery. And the two years of that, neither of us had any emotional, mental or financial bandwidth to do pretty much anything other than survive. And that was where I really dove into podcasts because I just needed to go away mentally and I could put my noise-canceling headphones on and do the dishes or clean the cat boxes or whatever I needed to do. And it was podcasts that made me go, wow, these are my friends and as you know, the rest is history. And that what when I couldn't pursue acting for those two years, just because of circumstances outside of my control, I could still record a podcast with my best friend. And that saved my literal life. If I didn't have the podcast, I, I don't know where I would be because it's given me so much strength and such a creative outlet. Because now that my husband is healed and we're in a very different position than we were two years ago. I feel like I have to start over as an actor and that's scary. Yeah. You know, when you weren't where you wanted to be in the first place and now you're 10 steps behind that with a little bit more life experience, that's, that's where I am now, but I definitely feel like a stronger person and more equipped to take the steps that I'll need to take. And also I'm a lot more okay with failure than I was prior to this. So those seem to be very critical kind of character development times for you, just kind of like learning more about yourself and how you handle those situations. It's uh, a lot for you to kind of handle, huh? Yeah. And I, I hope that these are 
though they're very specific to me, you know, I think there's some universal nuggets of wisdom to be gleaned from my, you know, mistakes or what hardships or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most universal things that you've said is feeling like you're starting over again and starting 10 steps behind. I think that is so relatable. Yeah, wherever you are in your career, because again, like we were kind of talking before we started recording how this time with COVID-19 and everything that's going on is the first time where people in the arts can actually take a break and not feel like they need to Obviously, some people are still hustling and whatever, and I think that's great. Keep your artist brain alive and active, but I feel like it's the first time where people have given themselves the chance to just be okay with not doing anything for their career, which I don't think is something anyone has ever done before because you feel like if you do, then you're you're going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is what I was craving. And I certainly wasn't craving it in this way. So, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, this is a global tragedy, but if we choose to look for, if, I mean, this is my privilege. I understand that I, I have the privilege of looking for a silver lining in this absolutely horrendous time. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that there are some people where there's, there's no silver lining, but if you are privileged enough to be able to look for one, there is something to be said for all of us getting back to zero. Yes. Do you think that that's going to bring about more of a central kind of approach to the arts or what what do you think bringing back to zero is kind of bring to everybody? I think it's, well, hopefully dear goddess, I hope so that this, that we come out of this as wiser, <laughs> better people, you know, on, <laughs> on the whole, I don't have control over that week. I can only control, you know, myself, but I think recalibrating our priorities and coming to the conclusion of what are my priorities, not what are the priorities that people have told me should be my priorities, but what are my priorities? And I think if we begin to evaluate that, there is an opportunity for the business to open its collective mind to the possibility of what if we didn't drive people to insanity? What if we did listen to people and didn't check to see how many followers they have on Instagram? What if we did base casting on talent rather than other factors outside of people's control? Like, what would that look like? And I I realize that that is definitely a utopian dream. Dream. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm like, oh, yes, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that there's an opportunity there, and that would be super cool. (laughs) Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's going to change how the business works drastically in, you know, all forms i hope for the better and for the utopian dream that you were talking of because i do think you know hopefully in this time people remember their values their core values or create their own core values because they've never been able to before with so many things being projected on them yes that idea of projecting things onto other people that's such that is such a profound way to think about it for sure yeah And being able to be with yourself and just kind of figure it out on your own without having a million voices from all directions coming at you. (laughs) I do think it will help, hopefully, in some way. If not, just to make people a little kinder. 
Yeah. And the thing yeah. is, I know that everybody is under pressure. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. I, I don't even necessarily know that there's any like villains in the way that it was before. Scratch that. There were villains. <laughs> there were villains. As a whole, I think the majority of us were just trying to catch up. And yeah. when the race stops, that's when we get to look around and, and see what we've actually been running past, what the landscape looks like you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. And maybe the villains will have a, a little bit less of a voice. Or realize that their voice wasn't, I don't want to say accurate, but maybe not the yeah. most constructive. <laughs> hey everyone, just wanted to hop in really quick before we jump into the final questions to let you know where you can find Ketrin. On Instagram, she is at Ketrin P. On Twitter, she is at Ketrin. And her website is www.ketrinporter.com. All right, Mitch, you ready to jump into the final questions? More than ready, Melody. All right, here we go. What is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts? There is no ladder to climb. It's all luck and who you know and totally random. I know that it kind of goes along with what we were saying earlier, but do you have any idea of whether or not that's going to change? Or like, is there something that would be better than the way that it currently works? No, I think there's always going to be an element of being in the right place at the right time just because it's such a saturated business. Everybody wants to sing their heart song. You know, that's it's a common human desire. So the competition is always going to be steep, which means that there's always going to be an element of randomness to it. And I think the sooner we can accept that, the sooner we can begin to accept ourselves for who we are. So, Ketrin, what keeps you up at night? Oh, my God. What doesn't? I am terrified of everyone I love dying. And I try to control everyone's lives in order to keep them alive, which is funny that the tagline of my podcast is stay alive. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) The maybe is the anxiety in me. The maybe is the part that keeps me awake. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. I think most people can. All right. Our final question. Do you have any advice for a person that doesn't pursue the arts full time or is just starting out? Wow. Don't forget why you love it. And if you are starting to fall out of love, examine that. Is it because you've truly moved into a new place where your priorities have changed and it doesn't mean as much to you anymore? Or is that coming from a place of fear and discouragement? And if it's coming from a place of fear and discouragement, go create your own thing. Even if it's just uploading a video of you doing a monologue on YouTube that gets seven views. Just examine your relationship with the art and say, what made me fall in love with it in the first place? And how can I get back to that? Because that's what's ultimately going to give you the energy to move forward. But then to also realize that if it doesn't mean the same thing to you that it did when you started, that's okay too. And it's okay to stop. And you're not a failure if your priorities change, because this is a brutal life, you know, there's, there's very little stability in it. And it's okay to move on. And it doesn't make you less than. Hey, thanks for listening. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, www.artisticpodcast.com. 
If you liked the episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show. For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. See ya.